0: Well, we started and there's only like two people behind me. And I was like, man, these two people behind me are loud. But well, There's actually a, a couple more of you. Um, if you weren't here earlier, I said that um, we, uh, it's obviously, you know, it's Thanksgiving this coming week. Um, my house skips decorating for Thanksgiving. We decorate for Halloween and then we skip Thanksgiving and go straight to Christmas. But in protest, I got some nice Thanksgiving socks. I just want to make sure everybody sees these. Right. They're nice, huh? I already showed them off once, but you weren't here. You figured you wanted that pleasure. Um, uh, let me ask you a question. Totally switching gears here. Nothing to do with Thanksgiving. Um, have you guys ever seen Gone with the Wind? Who has not seen Gone with the Wind? One? Wow! Wow, that's. That's sad, Gone with the Wind. My mom's favorite movie, we used to have it on VHS. If you remember on VHS, you could only put so much on VHS, so it came in a three-disc set. So we had the three-disc set of Gone with the Wind. Um, Some of you guys, if you've seen it, you probably know, Gone with the Wind was tape? Discs, sorry. Whatever, there comes a long time ago. Okay. those uh, Gone with the Wind actually uh, hit theaters and then came back out of theaters because it was so vulgar and, uh, and had so much profanity. Did you guys know that? Um, so it was, it was such a terrible movie. There was public outcry. It came out. And if you've seen it, then you know that uh, all the vulgarity in there uh, and the profanity, there's actually one cuss word in the whole movie. And it was the first major motion picture to have a cuss word in the movie, and so when it hit theaters and people were enjoying it, it got all the way to the end, and, uh, and then people, public outcry, they get to the end, he says the cuss word, and then everybody's all upset, and they pull it out of theaters. Times have really changed, huh? Um, I looked this up. It really doesn't have much weight on anything, but in keeping with tradition of me saying some things that have nothing to do with anything else, um, I'm going to say this because I don't want to call this waste time. But I looked at that and I thought, man, what's acceptable now? How about this? PG-13. You want to know what can go into PG-13? Feel free to let your 13-year-old watch movies with this. Brief, full nudity, extreme physical violence brief use of hard drugs, and most any cuss word save using the F word as a verb. As long as you don't do that, you can, you can call it PG-13, brief, full nudity, extreme physical violence, brief use of hard drugs, and any cuss word except the F word as a verb. Your 13-year-old is good for that. Um, so, man, times have, have really changed in terms of what we find to be acceptable. Um, back to the point, um, there's a tiny piece in Gone with the Wind that a- overshadows the entire rest of the movie, or at least it did for a little while. And for, uh, for all the enjoyment people got out of the movie, there was just one little bitty piece that everybody focused on, and that overshadowed everything else that happened there. That happens a lot, right? If you, um, if you see, I saw this kid the other day, and uh, he, was, he had this... Um, I'm talking about like these really nice outfit like probably like a $500 suit for a, like a 13 year old kid. It was pretty crazy. Super nice suit, super nice, but you know what else he had? He had a zit on the end of his nose that looked like a mountain up there. And I did not notice how well dressed this kid was for like 5 minutes cuz all I could look at was this huge zit on the end of his nose. Forgive me if you have zits, I don't stare at them, right? It was just, I just couldn't help but notice. And this one tiny little thing, or big thing, on, on his nose uh, overshadowed everything else that was going on there. He was really well-dressed and really well-spoken, and that was the only thing I could look at. Um, yeah, th- that kind of thing happens a lot. In First John, we covered all the big stuff. We covered all the big stuff last week. Robbie preached for a couple of weeks. Uh, I preached on First John, and, uh, and we covered a lot of the stuff there. But here's what happens, which is so in tune with what we do all the time, is there is one little thing in there that probably gets more attention than anything else. And much like we do constantly, we take this little bitty piece and we blow it up, and it's the thing we talk about all the time. So, so that's what I want to talk about today. I figured it was a good way to sort of close this out, is to address this thing. This one little bitty thing, uh, a lot of churches have grown huge. It's the, it's the primary reason for them growing, and, and they have, they've, they've just gotten huge, and their buildings are huge, and, and there's lots of money flowing through them. And it's all primarily based on this one little piece of Scripture. So here we go, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5. Uh, he, let me tell you something pretty interesting while you, while you all flip over there. 1 um, John, chapter 5. Here's a pretty interesting thing about 1 John. Uh, of all the apostles, uh, there were 12 of them, right? Ten of them died these terrible deaths. Ten of them died a martyr's death, and so they died because they, they were followers of Jesus. One of them obviously killed himself. And then the last one is John. And he's the only one that doesn't die this way. You know how he managed to, to avoid dying a martyr's death? Well, he went to prison. And so he spent the rest of his life in prison, and that's how he sort of got to avoid this ending, so lucky him. But, so these are some of the last letters, these, these, these three letters of 1 John, uh, for, or these three letters that John wrote, these are some of the last things written by someone who spent a lot of time with Jesus and, and who actually physically touched Jesus and kissed his cheek. And these are some of the last things written by someone who had that sort of interaction with Jesus. And I just think it's pretty cool to be able to read something from someone. You feel like there's got to be a, a reason that he made it this long, and that these books came out when they did to address all the particular things that they address. It's a pretty cool thing when you read through them to think about how this one apostle was preserved, and now we get to read what he wrote. So here we go. Uh, Chapter 5. So what's this fuss about? What's this one little piece that sort of overshadows so much of the rest of the book? 1 John, chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We, we talked about a lot of that last week. Verse 14, here's the big piece that overshadows. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That's the peace that a lot of people really twist around. I'm, I'm going to read it to you again, because if you just take it out, right, he says, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Put another way, if we ask God for something, we know that he gives it to us. And that part seems a little bit confusing. The first part of this book's easy, okay? So he says, I wrote this entire book that you may know that, that you believe in the name of the Son of God and that you have eternal life. He's like, no guessing. You can know for sure completely and wholly whether or not you are a follower of Jesus. And you don't have to guess about eternal life. You don't have to guess about any of that. I'm writing to let you know whether you do or whether you don't. Because sometimes it's just unclear and there's a lot of things going out about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But I want you to know for certain, right? Do you love people? Have you professed Jesus as your Lord? Have you you called on Him to forgive you of your sin? You've done those things? Absolutely. You're a follower of Jesus. And so the first part's really easy. He says, I wrote most of this book so that you can know that you have eternal life, that you're a follower of Jesus. Then he gets to the tricky part. Let me flesh this out for you. Here's what he's saying, essentially. He says, when you know you're a child of God, when you're certain about that, then you can come confidently before God to ask him for what you want, and you can know that you'll get it. Do you hear that? Because there's a lot of weight, and that is complete truth. When you are a follower of God, when you're confident that you are a follower of Jesus, you can come before Him confidently in prayer, ask Him for what you want, and you can know that you'll get it. So the question then is, seems initially to be, what do you want? That's the part that's pretty easy to talk about, right? What on earth do you want? Let me tell you a couple things about our wants that you probably already know. Um, The things we want change. Do you want the same things you wanted when you were 17? I definitely don't. I'm glad I didn't get the things I wanted when I was 17. What you want now, you will not want later. You'll notice that when you're young, if somebody says, what do you want? You can name off a lot of stuff that you want. And then you get a little older and somebody says what you want, and you're not naming off stuff so much. You're naming off what you want for your children. You're naming off relationships that are important. Maybe you just want a little more time. Right? All those things change as time goes on and you realize the things you wanted before probably weren't all that important. And in a few years from now, you'll realize that likely a lot of the things you wanted a few years before aren't that important to you anymore. Man, the things that you want absolutely change. Think of your seventeen year old self. What if you had gotten everything you wanted when you were seventeen? What if your parents had had let you do whatever you wanted to do? Because that's what you really wanted. Would that have been good for you at 17? Uh, what if you had gotten the fastest car that anyone had ever driven when you were 17? Would that have been good for you? What if uh, you had gotten, you were so in love at 17 and you had, you had, your parents had said, sure, go ahead, get married and, you know, whatever you want to do. You're 17, but you really love them. What if you'd gotten to do that when you were 17? Is that what you really, would that have been good for you? If you think of yourself at 17 and you say, I can't think of anything that I wanted at 17 that would have been bad for me, think about your own children at 17 and all the things they wanted, right, and all the things that you knew weren't good for them, and then realize that you were them at one time. And so if you can't think of anything that you wanted at 17 that would have been bad for you, it's just because you have a bad memory. Because you absolutely wanted things that were not good for you. Our wants change. So it's pretty good that we don't get exactly what we want when we want it. Right? I think that's something important to think about once. We think about if God just granted all our wants just as we asked them, we know that'd be pretty bad for us. Here's another thing about our wants. Um, we want our way. Do you agree with that? We want our way. We want things to happen our way. You, only, you ever got something that happened, you really fought hard to get it to happen just like you wanted it to happen, and then when it happened just like you wanted it to happen, you realized you didn't really want it? Anybody ever got a promotion? And you got a promotion and they gave you like, another dollar an hour or something and, uh, and then you had to work way more and you had way more headache and you had to come in a lot more often and you realized that you got just what you wanted, just the way you wanted it, only to find out that you don't want it at all? Anybody ever got out of a relationship only to find out that you didn't really want to be out? Anybody ever got into a relationship that you really wanted only to find out that you didn't really want to be into it? And you got exactly what you wanted, just the way you wanted it. You got it your way, and it absolutely wasn't what you wanted. The truth is, getting our way usually isn't the way to get what we really want. And getting it your way usually leads to long-term not getting what you want at all. You wanted the relationship because you thought it would make you happy. You got the relationship and it doesn't make you happy. And sometimes getting just what we want gives us just the opposite of what we really want. I'm saying want a lot. I'm getting confused here. Um, What's the last thing about your wants? I would say that for me especially, um, we want to do what we want to do. That's some truth about our wants. We want to do what we want to do. I want to eat steak regularly. Red meat is killing me. I have high cholesterol. All right. I want to eat what I want to eat. Molly wants to eat candy for every meal, but I know that it's not good for her. I want to eat everything I want to eat. I don't like yogurt. I need to eat yogurt. I I need to eat oatmeal for breakfast. I don't like oatmeal. All those things that are good for me. I want to do what I want to do. It's just not very good for me. I want to relax and not exercise. Also not very good for me, right? I'm outgrowing all my pants. It's starting to cost me money. I want to do what I want to do, but it doesn't really get me what I want. Sometimes I want to stay home and not work. I would feel great. Now, I don't want to stay home and have to like clean and do all that kind of stuff. But I just want to stay home and do nothing. But if I do enough of that, it's pretty bad for me. Then I'm poor and hungry, and that's not what I want. Doing what I want to do doesn't usually get me what I want to get. And so the reality, when I examine all the things that I want and all the different ways that I want them, all those things, what I, what I tend to come around to is I don't really know what I want. I mean, I mean, big picture, I think I kind of know, but small picture, I don't really know what I want. It's like I need somebody else to help me get there to help me get to the big things that I want. See, the great thing about God is He already knows that that our wants are filled with flaws, and they change, and they're probably not good for us. And getting some of what we want often leads to a lot of what we don't want. And so the great thing about this verse is it isn't talking about any of that at all. And there are pastors... And I hesitate to call them pastors. And some of them are just misguided. And some of them are totally off. And they're telling people Sunday after Sunday that just ask for what you want. And if you give enough to the church and you believe, right, then that's the path to, to being spiritually free. You know, that that's the idea is getting what you want. And God already told you, you can have what you want if you believe enough. And and that little idea just just blows up, and the rest of the great stuff in First John gets left out, and this little piece is the thing that gets so much press and attention, and we present it totally and completely wrong. See, there's a little piece in here. There's a linchpin, and without the linchpin, it all falls apart. And there's a linchpin in here, and it's important, and it's a little piece that it's very clearly in there, but we leave out a lot. So it's absolutely true that you can come to God, and you can ask for what you want, and you can get it. But, but here's the thing. He says, ask for anything you want according to his will. If you, got, you still got your Bible there and, and you got verse 14, uh, verse 14 is, is where it tells you what we're asking for are things according to his will. Uh, I, I've said this a few times, but I, I just loved when he said it. But David Platt said one time, He said, uh, here's the trick to getting exactly what you want all the time in prayer. He says, um, begin to want what God wants and then ask for whatever you want. If you'll want what God wants, then ask for whatever you want and you'll always get it. So then the question is, what does God want? And how do I ask for things in prayer according to His will? Because I'm really interested in this idea of getting prayers answered. That sounds incredible. Right? Just being able to pray and real things moving and happening, that sounds awesome. How do I pray according to His will? What is His will? Here are some of the things that God wants. God wants people to experience eternal life. If you're praying for someone that, that isn't a Jesus follower and you're saying, man, I just wish that, that there would be just this, this, this constant inundation in their life of people telling them how great Jesus is and not just telling them but showing them. And I wish that, 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 that the thought about following Jesus would come to their mind all the time. And I wish it would be so irresistible to them that they would want to follow Jesus. You begin to pray that someone is going to be really annoyed at you because constantly uh, they're going to be hearing about Jesus and they're going to be hearing about what it means to follow Him because those are the things that God wants to do in the life of people. Yeah, pray for that. That'll absolutely happen. Here's some other things God wants. God wants the church to care for the poor. you got somebody in your family that's poor. you got somebody around you that needs something to change in their lives. Man, begin to pray for them because God wants the church to care for the poor. And if you're somebody who cares for, for the poor and you're somebody who, who cares for, for people that, that, that have less than we do, begin to pray for them. God wants to make a change in their life. Here's some other things God wants. God wants to be worshipped. Begin to pray that people would worship God. Those things will happen. Here's what's pretty interesting about God wants towards us. You see, here's the truth. God doesn't want something from us. God wants something for us. You get that idea? God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And that's the great thing about 1 John is is God wants to give you things that are good for you. And he wants to do great things for you. He wants us to have what we really want, which which is eternal treasure in heaven. That's what he wants us to have. And he says, he's sort of saying, forget all your little wants. Those aren't even going to do you any good. Sometimes getting all your little wants just makes you further and further away from me. I want to give you what you really want, which is is happiness and joy for eternity. That's what I want you to have. You have a child or a friend in need, pray that someone in the church would love them and care for them. God wants those things to happen, and they'll happen. Those are the things that we pray and, and the prayers that we pray that God answers. You have a family member that, that's deep in sin or just just, just wallowing in, in sin and can't seem to, to step away from it, and, and who knows what it is. But you've got somebody in your family that's doing that. Man, pray that God would put someone in their life to love them and to make a difference for them and, and to care for them. Man, pray for them in that way. Because those are the kind of prayers that God is interested in answering because you're praying according to His will. And I bet you if, you if you have someone that's really close to you that has a, a constant problem and a constant issue that's a result of sin and, and, and you also want a new car, I bet if you got to choose between a change in that person's life and a new car, you'd probably choose the change in that person's life. Otherwise, you're a terrible person. <laughs> but you would probably choose for some change to be made there. God says pray for those things. And come before me faithfully, praying that those who need me would hear about me. And those who need to be provided for would be provided for. And those that need a, a godly presence in their life would get that. Pray for that. Pray according to God's will, and I guarantee you that you'll get exactly what you want. That's a promise I'm pretty interested in. John says when you know the Father and you know that you know him, like you're his follower, no doubt you can approach Him with supreme, ultimate confidence that what you request in prayer will absolutely happen so long as you ask according to His will. And that's a pretty cool promise. Given the power to effect change like that, I think there's two questions that are really really pertinent here. And, and so I just ask for you to end with some introspection. I'm just going to give you a couple of questions, and I'm just going to encourage you to ask yourself. So so given the power to change real physical things in the world, uh, I think there are two things we've got to ask ourselves. and And number one is, if you're not sure that you know Jesus, which is the first part of the question, then why are you not sure? And if you're sure that you just don't want to, that's different than saying, I- I'm not sure whether or not Jesus is the way. Man, you can know that. You can, and that question can be answered for you. So the first thing I would ask you is, why aren't you sure? If you want to ask some questions about what it means to be a Jesus follower, ask those questions. If you say, I've been in church for a long time, but yet some of the things when you really begin to talk about, have you said to Jesus that, hey, you're you're the Lord of my life and I follow you. Like, I've never really done that, but I still feel like I'm kind of good. Ask those questions. And there's no reason on earth to not be sure. The first part's easy. So ask yourself that question. Why aren't you sure about where you stand with Jesus? Secondly, I would say, if we have the power to move real things in the world just, by, just through prayer, the second question is, why aren't you praying more? Why am, why am I not praying more? Why don't I just not preach and we all pray? <laughs> I mean, that would be that, that seems like the more logical thing to do oftentimes. Like, why do we not pray more? If we can affect real change, why are we not doing that more often? Why do we spend so much time complaining about the things that are happening, happening around us instead of praying for the things that are happening around us? Think about the things you want to see in the life of your family, the life of people around you, the situations that you're in the middle of. Think about those things. Why are we not praying for those things? Why are they not consistently on our hearts? And why are we not consistently lifting them up to God, knowing that when we bring them to Him and we pray according to His will that He makes real things why are we not praying more? God, we praise you uh, for your word, and we praise you that when we come to you and we ask for things according to your will, that things happen and we can be confident. God, I pray that we would be people that would be sure, that would say, that would say God, we, we want to know you and we follow you and we want to be sure. I pray that we would be people that get that first thing done very clearly. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Amen.